If you will tonight, I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to find a very familiar verse of Scripture here. And I hope that you'll forgive the fact that this passage is so familiar. It's difficult preaching from a familiar verse. Sometimes when we choose an obscure verse, it's tough because by the time we educate everyone about the homiletics of the passage and who's talking to who and what they were saying, it's, there's no time left to preach about it. But it's even more difficult to preach on one that is familiar because it's so easy for people to say, well, I've heard that preached a thousand times and been there and got the t-shirt and a little mug from the gift shop and know everything there is to know about it. But by the grace of God, I'd like to take a fresh look at this. And I'd like to speak on the thought, the cross conundrum. The question of the cross. Why, out of anything and everything, did God choose the cross to symbolize his plan of redemption? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I'm going to read that one more time. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Of God. You know, the cross is the easily the most recognizable trademark on the planet. I mean, it's even bigger than the Apple logo. Of course, the fact that it had a 2,000 year head start is no reflection on the marketing team for Mac and for Apple, but. Uh, it's still, it's the most recognized symbol that's on the planet. I can't tell you how many times that um, I've traveled the world and looked in, and in the most unexpected, most amazing places you'll see the cross. When we were in India, there were gods everywhere. Their temples had hundreds of gods molded into the uh, framework of their temples and in their businesses. Amen. There were all kinds of gods and icons and multiple hands and multiple eyes and half lion, half bear, half tiger, half fish, half something. And they were everywhere. And yet we'd be walking down the streets and in the midst of all this, and of course I couldn't read the languages and all the painted signs that were on the stores, and all of a sudden... You'd see a cross standing alone by itself. It's a powerful image. Driving through the south, you can oftentimes look up and see a cross just up on a hillside, sometimes three, and you know exactly what it means, don't you? The story that John McCain shared about how that he was held captive in prison there he was, 
in prison as a, as a soldier in Vietnam being held there in the jungle and tortured on a regular basis. And, but how on one particular day, and it was not every day of the week, but once in a while they would be left, let to go outside into the sunlight for just a few moments. And on this particular day, it was just him and another soldier. And this particular Vietnamese soldier must have been a Christian. Because without ever saying a word to John McCain, he just reached out with his foot and scratched into the dirt a cross. And John McCain said in that brief moment, he was no longer a prisoner being tortured and held captive. But in that brief moment, they were just two Christians honoring God and his creation. That's the power of this symbol of the cross. The message that it holds. And yet we have to digress for a moment and ask ourselves, why did he choose a cross? I mean, he could have certainly chosen anything. I mean, I've often read about how that we selected the symbols for this nation and how Ben Franklin, who's one of my favorite characters of history, I mean, a man who was a scientist and a self-made printer and author and statesman and ambassador. And yet, Ben Franklin wanted the turkey to be the national symbol for America. Now, I've, thank you, Ben, for electricity. Thank you for the blue flame. Thank you for simply the Benjamins. <laughs> but I'm glad that he didn't win <laughs> on the turkey. He thought the turkey was a noble bird, a much more useful bird, that the Eagle was a scavenger, but somehow he missed the message of freedom. Somewhere along the way, it just wouldn't see the same at the end of the national anthem and the rocket's red glare and bombs bursting in the air to follow that up with a gobble, 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 gobble. It's a powerful symbol of freedom. You can feel it sometimes on the back of the coins in your pocket. Just know that that's the eagle. And what it stands for. And yet it pales in comparison to the message of the cross. So why didn't God choose an eagle? Why didn't he choose something majestic? Why not a cloud? I, I don't know. Someone told me one time that people need to quit wearing crosses all the time. They should have an empty tomb. It's just really hard to draw an empty tomb logo. Why the cross? And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why that God chose the cross. Because that's exactly what the cross represents to the world. It is a choice. It is an eternal crossroads. And people who come to the cross have to make a choice. A matter of fact, if there was anything, without regard to theological studies, without regards to the fact that I've read Calvin 
that I've studied the theories of Arminianism. I've read after some of the great theologians, the men who coined the very phrase Trinity. I've read ancient works, hundreds of years old, that would bore the socks off of you. But had I forgone every bit of that and simply had nothing to frame my theology but to look up at the cross, I don't see how I could be a Calvinist and say that I have no choice. That's what the cross is. The cross is an intersection. And it is a choice. And it is an opportunity for a better life. Isn't that what it is? Doesn't that, does it represent that to you? You know, sometimes we forget this is a better life. And we thank God for it. And the good news is, is even though I can pray for your loved ones, and I can't make your loved ones get saved. Just like you can't make another person love you. How do you know that? I mean, you can love them, and you can love them with everything you got. But if they don't love you, you're wasting your time. Anybody ever waste any time on anybody? Come on, let's be honest. Some of you peeled off quite a few years for a real idiot. You just can't love them enough to love you. You can't make them. I mean, you did everything right. You look back. I was right. They were mean. I was nice. They were rude. I, I, I always put their needs first. You look back and start thinking about it. I never liked that car. I never liked that color. That's what she wanted. That's what she wanted. I gave her everything that she wanted. But you could not make that person love you. And you can't make somebody get saved. But one of the incredible blessings of being a child of God is that we can pray. And as a result of our prayers, God will bring someone to the cross. We forget sometimes that we have this incredible power as believers. He, he can bring them to the cross. We can't make the choice for them, but we can bring them to the cross. And I've seen many of them come to the cross and they didn't pick right the first time. So you know what we did? We prayed them back again. And they saw the cross again and again and again. And if we really love them, we keep bringing them back till they figure it out. You keep making the wrong choice. You need to choose Jesus. You need to accept his plan for your life. One of the most remarkable things that I see is the, 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 the older that I get, and I, I'm just going to be honest with you, I've never had a problem with birthdays. I've always felt young. I don't look young, but I feel young. Just don't have a problem with birthdays. I don't, I don't mind getting older. I was always the young preacher for so long, I just look forward to just not being the young preacher, just being the preacher. I'm enjoying it. Get a gray hair, I earned it. And if it's still in my head, I like it. But boy, this 20-year anniversary coming up with the church, it's making me feel old. I don't know what it is. I just, I don't hardly know any preachers got 20 years in. You know what I'm saying? Talk to all these guys, you know, they're way older than me, and they got nine and six and eight and four, and I'm like, man, 20 years. It just makes me, it, I don't know what it is about that. It just, it's hit me a little different. But I'm going to tell you something. The older that I get, the more that I do realize something, and I'm, I'm amazed by it. I mean, I'm totally stupefied. 
how it is that people continue to think that they know what they want. When they've spent most of their life getting what they thought they want and they're just as miserable now, if not more miserable, that they've got it. It blows my mind. I talk to people, they got a boat. That didn't work, they got another boat. It's a better boat, it's a bigger boat, it's a faster boat. And they're so happy with their boat till their neighbor gets a better boat. And it's like all of a sudden their boat is a junky boat. <laughs> Look at this junky boat. <laughs> that I mortgaged my future and I have to work a second job to make the payments on it. But look at it. Because that boat does five miles an hour more than this boat. And they do that with cars. Every time we talk to them, they got another car. They got another this. They got another that. And they're miserable. They're miserable. And if they're lucky, they're just trading boats. God, have mercy on the ones who are trading wives. My heart really goes out to them. They still don't figure it out. They think that something out here is going to make them happy. That there's actually something in this world that can make you happy. I went by church the other day. I got sick to my stomach. I know I'm going to get trouble because somebody knows somebody that goes there and it's a good church and the pastor's wonderful. You don't know what you're talking about, but I'm just, I don't know none of that. They can be the greatest people in the world. I just have a problem with their sign. Can I talk about their sign? Don't judge me because I'm only not judging the people, just the sign. And I drove by it. Yesterday, on the way to Walmart, innocent, not looking for a problem. We just needed some things at the house. The apostle's coming. You don't want to run out of toilet paper when the apostle's coming. That's embarrassing. So we went and stocked up on a few things. And the truth is, I drove by and all of a sudden this this little Lutheran or Nazarene church, they've changed the name. They got a brand new name, brand new sign. Loving Life. Church, love and life. And as soon as I read, didn't even bother to put the G in there. It's just an apostrophe. Loving life, loving it. And I drove by. Well, I didn't really drive by. I stopped the car. <laughs> and then I drove on by. I looked over. Ashley was with me and I said, you got a problem with that title? So there's any verses that might come to your mind as to why that title is not what you should call a church. Love and life church. Because Jesus said, and I know it's so rude to bring up what Jesus said. But I, I just want to, you know, some of you will have read this. And I just want to refresh your mind. That Jesus said in, in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about, the Bible. Okay. He said that anyone that seeks to gain his life will lose it. But he that's willing to lose his life will find life in me. And that the kingdom of God is not about love and life or love in this world. A matter of fact, the kingdom of God is about being of another world. Of being born again into a whole other kingdom. To where this world doesn't even matter to us anymore. 
Now that seems kind of strange, don't it? Because I know we live in a world of prosperity preachers who are going to tell you that God wants you to be filthy, stinking, nasty, rich. My God, I just can't, can't understand how they can preach like they do without a big wheel of fortune to spin. Because they're playing the same game. Like if we get the questions right, we're going to get a $5,000 bonus spin for a chance at a new car. And the kingdom of God is so much deeper than that and richer than that and more real than that because the kingdom of God says, listen, now that I've been born into the kingdom of God, the things of this world have no power over me anymore. And see, that's the problem with the church is that we think we understand the power of God, but we have not experienced the power of God until we have been loosed from ourselves. Jesus didn't come to save you from the devil. He came to save you from you. Oh, you ain't helping me preach tonight, but this is a good word. He came to save you from you because all your appetites are for worldly things. All your appetites are in contrast to your created purpose. All, everything about you is about the today and the now. And I just got to get through today. And I just got, and God's coming down and saying, listen, you don't even know who you are. I created you as an eternal being. You have an eternal destiny. Amen. You're not just a, a, a person as you view yourself. Amen. You are so much deeper than that. You are body. You are soul. And you are spirit. And the soul of man will never die. You're an eternal creature. And you're part of an eternal kingdom. And if you'll pursue that kingdom over the things of this world, if you're willing to let go of the ties of this world and the appetites of your flesh, you can have the glory of the kingdom of heaven. And so the the saints of God in the Old Testament didn't set out love and life. They set out saying, if I lose my life, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This life is temporary and temple. And even if uh, my life is at risk, I'm going to uh, India uh, and St. Thomas. when, When Thomas came to India and began to minister there, he was tortured. They threw him in a vat of boiling oil. That's not loving life. They, they, that's, that's, that, that, that doesn't work on the church website. When you advertise that, come to Jesus and, and, and you can go out and die for Jesus and be persecuted and be stoned and be laughed at. So we need a better PR plan. And so we've emphasized the bread and the loaves and the fishes and everybody's going around talking about, man, that, that church supper was something wonderful. Did you have the green beans? What, did, what, what was in those? Those were special. Somebody put a little, I think I, I think I taste some brown sugar and maybe even a little mustard, spicy mustard. Did you taste that? It was awesome. I've got to get the recipe. Oh, did you have the mac and cheese? Did you taste the chicken? Oh, that watermelon was fresh. That was good, wasn't it? And that's what we advertise. We're advertising the loaves and the fishes come to Jesus. Two fish and fries, two ninety nine. Best tartar sauce in town. That's what we're selling. And people are buying it. Thinking that's a great deal, but they don't understand that there must have been something. 
that got a hold of these men and women, that they were willing to give their lives for Jesus. They got some, something happened to Paul on that Damascus road when he bumped into the cross of Calvary. When the light shined and he fell from his horse, something got a hold of that man that said, I don't care if I die. It doesn't matter. I've got Jesus. I've been redeemed. I've been set free from myself. My old appetites, my old ways, they don't have a hold. They don't control me anymore. I'm not bound by them anymore. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And because of that freedom, they were willing to do whatever. I mean, they were willing to be persecuted. They were willing to be crucified. They were willing to be martyred. The apostle Paul said, I found a place where I'm happy no matter what I have. Whether I have food or whether I don't. My God, we live in a society today, if they're two minutes late on your Big Mac, you're going to pitch a fit and wreck the place. I've seen people pitch so many fits at McDonald's. I, I'll never forget this one guy just, just literally, I mean, he just wait, you could tell he was waiting in line and he was so upset and he knew he got the wrong line because ours was moving faster. And you know, I, I get frustrated sometimes that their philosophy is for me to train the new people. I didn't sign up for that. I'm just here to buy a cheeseburger. I didn't want to go into McDonald's management and explain how they're supposed to do it. But he got so upset that finally he said, he said, young man, just before I order, I have one question for you. Are you retarded? Is there something wrong with you? That's what he said. Are you retarded? Is there something wrong with you? I've never seen anybody move so slow in all of my life. I'm 15 minutes late already getting back on the road. We haven't even ordered our food yet. Now, honey, go ahead and order. I looked at the guy next to me. I didn't know him, but he was laughing too. I said, he don't realize he already ordered a McLoogie. Man, if we don't get our food that fast and just right, just the way we like it, God have mercy on the poor housewife that burns the toast on the cheap toaster that you bought her. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know what's right with me tonight. Help me, Jesus. And yet we're supposed to be free, free, free from the bondage of human passion. Our passion is now towards the things of heaven, towards the things of God. The things of this world will grow strangely dim. We've got to get back to that cross and remember, hey man, there's power in that cross. Why? Because of the power in the cross, I've chosen a new life. I've chosen to be citizens in another country. And so guess what? I'm not affected by this economy because I'm in God's economy. I'm in an economy where the streets are paved with gold and the walls are jasper and God provides all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm like the lily of the field. I'm like the sparrow that flies through the air. God will supply my needs I don't have to worry and fret about that and spend all my time trying to squeeze a nickel so hard that I can get a dime out of it I'm free from that why? because I've been to the cross and I've made my choice and I choose Jesus and I choose this new life I've chosen the world it's not this world I've chosen my plan. I've invested eternity. 
I've invested the most precious asset ever entrusted into a human being. It is not your home, your car. It's not your talent or your good looks. It's not the sweat of your brow or the cunning of your intellect, but it is your soul, your very soul. And I have invested my soul in heaven. I've laid up my greatest treasure in heaven. That's where my hope springs from. That's where my, that's where my source of joy is. Hey Amen. I, I live in a world where the economy is souls. It's an economy of souls. My children can grow up to be doctors and lawyers, and if they lose their soul, it has no value to me. They can grow up and become rich and famous and everybody in America know their name. And I'll sing the same sorrowful song as Billy Ray Cyrus in a recent article. He said he wished he would have forgone all the fame and just concentrated on his family because he lost his wife. Now he's lost his daughter. How many more of these autobiographies and biographies do we have to read before we finally figure it out? That's not what it's about. And begin to enjoy the peace that only comes through accepting our eternal destiny in Christ. To say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And yes, we, we, sometimes we act like church is a, is a burden. Church is a, church is a weight and, and serving God is so hard. But yet the Bible says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Why? Because what has he asked us to do? Just come and follow me. Just let go and let God. Just, I know that there are times that our old passions and our old appetites begin to try to come back into play. But if you'll crucify that, quit playing with it. Quit calling it. Just quit, quit caressing it and quit talking to it. Quit feeding it. Quit taking it to the movies that it likes and feeding it the things that it likes. And crucify that flesh. There is a place of peace and passion. Amen. Where we literally are willing to give it all for Jesus. And that's why that the cross is the power of God. Amen. For us who believe to the world it's foolishness. They came to the cross and they didn't recognize it. They didn't realize this was the moment. This was the pivotal point upon which eternity called your name. The greatest opportunity of their eternal life. And they didn't see it for what it was. It was foolish. Church is foolish. Church is a waste of time. Religion is a crutch for the weak-minded. They didn't see the power of that cross to change their life and set them free. And now the world can't manipulate me anymore. The world can't put their commercials on and tell me i got to have this to be happy. I gotta have that to be happy. I gotta do that to be happy. My kids can't bring that into my home. Praise the Lord, my kids all the time, they coming in, come, come, come around Christmas time. Oh, daddy, I need this. No, you don't, you don't need that. I know what you need. You need to eat. You need to sleep. You need water. 
you need to use your head for something besides a hat rack, but you don't need that. How do you know what I'm talking about? Because the world tries to enslave them to that consumer mindset. Tell them this is what you need to be happy and this is who you got to be to be happy. But I'm going to tell you, I know what it takes to be happy. I said, I know what it takes to have joy. I know what it takes to be free because I have found joy. I've found love. I've found my happiness. It didn't come in a box and they don't sell it at Walmart and you can't order it on eBay, baby. Amen. You, when, when you find real joy, he comes with a name. Amen. His name is Jesus. And when you have Jesus, amen, when you truly met the Lord and he has freed you from your sins and washed you clean. Amen. One, one of the things that amazes me today is the absence of guilt and shame. And the Bible warns us that this would be Satan's major plot in the last days to sear people's conscience. Amen. To literally scar their conscience to the point where that there is no evil. There is nothing that's bad. There's nothing that's wrong. Why? Because if he can sear our conscience, he can devalue the cross. Because the cross frees us from our shame. But even the intellectually prepared, even those who have studied the philosophies of man, they've studied Eastern mysticism. Amen. They've equipped their minds with secular humanistic ideals. But even they... When pricked to the heart, know that they've done evil and they've done wrong. And that they're dirty. And that their sin sticks to them like filth. When you cut through it all. I remember when we were young and zealous for the things of God and right down the road from my father's house. I mean, not, not even like three houses down across the street. They decided to open up an adult bookstore. And all us Christians went and marched the sidewalks and picketed the bookstore. And as these men pooled around back and they built these, they built these fences so you couldn't hardly see the guys that were parking in the back tried to give them privacy so they didn't have to face us because the police were there and they kept us on the sidewalk and they wouldn't let us in the parking lot. But I'll never forget those elderly sisters hollering at these men as they entered into that store filled with filth and garbage. What would your mother think of you, young man? Come on, you know that one hits home when nothing else works when you look that guy in the eye and say, does your mother know what you're doing? Leave my mother out. Why would it bother you? If it's not wrong, if there is no right or wrong, why are you ashamed of your deeds and your actions? Why are you parked back in behind the bit? Plenty of parking spaces out front. What are you doing? Because without the cross, every head, regardless of good deeds, community service, civil service, 
even service to this great nation. Without Jesus and the blood of Jesus to wash you clean, you're a sinner. And you're damned and you're doomed. There is but one remedy for sin. It is the cross. It is the power of God. That's the power that he came. And yet in that power is all the freedom that we need, all the restoration that we need, everything that we need. Because if God can free us from our sins, then we are restored again to the garden state of Adam who had dominion, who had authority, who had communion and fellowship with his God. Tonight I'm here to tell you that if we don't as a movement, as a people, and as individuals get back to that place where we value the cross, One old-time Southern Gospel song. Forgive me for going Southern Gospel on you tonight, but here's one that has a message that says, I keep coming back to the well of grace, for great is its power and sweet is its taste. Whenever temptations and trials I face, I keep coming back to the well. We can't lean on anything else but the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us never forget the power that is in the blood of Jesus, the power that is in that cross. And we may not be able to make our loved ones get saved, but friend, pray them to the cross. <laughs> pray them to the cross. Pray them to the cross to the cross again and again bring them back to that cross force them to face eternity one more time who knows what decision they'll make this time we just don't know and because we don't know we've got to bring them back again and again and again and again My brother was a wonderful testimony of how that God can reach out to somebody no matter how far that they go. I tell stories sometimes about my brother and, and, and a lot of them are really funny. And uh, But not all of them are funny and I remember how that I never knew how really bad it was I knew he was messing with stuff I knew he was I knew he was smoking I knew he was sneaking things but I'll never forget the day we were walking down the sidewalk I was an 8th grader my brother opened up a bag that was like this full of drugs and he began to pull out the different drugs and he says these are quaaludes these are yellow jackets. These are black beauties. These are called robin eggs. Just the powder in this bag's worth $30, $40. 
These are called stick joints. These, I don't remember the names of all of them. He had acid. He had everything you could imagine in this bag of drugs. And I remember I just looked up at eighth grade, not knowing. I knew about the smoke, and I knew he snuck some tapes here. But I had no idea that he had fallen so deep into the drug culture and was so deep into uh, sex and, and other things. And I remember I just looked at him and I said, Ron, oh, no. And he goes, oh, what are you talking about, man? I can handle it. I said, isn't that what everybody says? I remember just being so scared for my brother. You know, back then they had all these movies and everybody who smoked a joint, you know, like you thought one out of two got the PCP and jumped off the school. Have you saw those movies? I mean, this is what I went to bed thinking about, my own brother sleeping on the other side of the house that he's into all this and he's caught up in it and he went out into the world as soon as he turned 18 he went into the military and he ran after everything the devil had and he he became an alcoholic he became a speed freak he became addicted to crank and he would be up for days on end and if it was evil he loved it if it had to do with witchcraft or Satanism or anything. He just ran as far from God. And yet we just prayed. We kept praying. We kept praying. There were times that I would, as a teenage boy, I, you know, I, I was, I had a condition. I don't know what you'd call it, but I, I was hooked up to this machine for about four years, my teenage years that kept me alive. It was called a refrigerator. And I could never go very far away from it. And so it'd be two or three o'clock in the morning and I'd sneak in the house. And More than on one occasion, I'd get ready to go through the living room and all of a sudden in the darkness, I would hear somebody sobbing and crying. And I'd hear my father speak in tongues. I see, oh God, I don't know where my boy's at, but wherever he is, God, touch him, God, save him, oh God, bring him back to the cross, bring him back home. I'd hear him calling out to God, I could, I can remember where in the circle of preachers. There's a lot of pride in the pulpit. One thing I've always tried to avoid and stay away from is that whole preacher thing that makes you look arrogant, untouchable, and, and not real, and plastic. And yet, throughout my life, I've just seen so much of that. And I've, I've met a thousand preachers that are too good to ever have prayer or ever be prayed for. You know, they always got to be the one doing the praying. Nobody ever prays for them. But I can't tell you how many times I saw my father. We'd be at a meeting and an altar call was given. Is anybody burdened for a loved one? My dad would be the first one to come down. Say, pray for my son. He's lost. He's lost. But you know this testimony. 
Some of you may be better than I do because I've probably told it better than this at one time or another. But maybe some of you are not aware that before Ron ever came to God, he was hit by a car in Germany and missing for three days. The military reported a Maywall. When he was on maneuvers in Barstow, California, he was bit by a snake, rushed to the emergency room. They told him that he was within three minutes of death if they hadn't got the antivenom in his system when they did. Jailed. Times that he got high and, 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 and he was so high that he woke up, everything in his apartment was gone. Everything he had was stolen. Just time and time again, where God brought him to the very point of eternity. <laughs> That's where we see the cross sometimes best of all. Is when we're faced with death and we realize that there's something in us that will exist on the other side of that. And what is there to be faced in that great unknown? But I'm so grateful for how that God brought my brother home and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he's a wonderful testimony to the fact that you can't make people do anything. But if you're willing to pray, whatever it takes, God, God will do some stuff. You better be ready for it. God will do some stuff. I mean, when we were praying, whatever it takes, we didn't know it was going to be, you know, He's going to get hit by a car and bit by a snake. But if you're willing to pray whatever it takes, there's nobody in your life right now that there's breath in their body that there's not hope. Hope that if we can get them to the foot of that cross one more time, they might find Jesus just the way you have. I'm going to tell you, I want to see, I want to see this prayer wall full. I want to see it full. You want to know the difference? People have talked about how different it is here at this building and what was at the old building. I'm going to tell you what I see that's different. And it's going to cut and it hits me harder than anybody else because I'm the pastor. Okay? At the old church, we didn't have the room that we do now. But our wall for sinners was three times the size of that one. Now we got a great big old wall and plenty of room for all of them. God save every one of them and we got a spot for them. And nobody's worried enough to put their family member's picture on that wall so we can pray and ask God. Because I can't save them and you can't save them. God can reach them wherever they are. His arm is not short that he cannot move. Neither is his ear dull of hearing that he cannot hear. Wherever they are, God can touch them. And God can bring them to the cross. And I say we bring them to the cross till they serve him. I say that we bring them to the cross till they say yes. I say if it doesn't work once, then by God, let's bring them back a thousand times. A thousand times until they have the same joy and the same precious eternal security that is with inside of us today. Hallelujah.
And I don't know about you. But I'm not willing to give my worst enemy soul to the devil. Much less my babies. Much less my friends. I will I will not let them go. Let me tell you, somebody said, I want to I be like Jesus. I want to, I want to, Pastor, I want to do it. Then listen, that's what you do when you share your testimony. What do you do when you look somebody in the eye and say, I've found the way. I know the way. I've found the path to eternal life. I've found the key to joy. I've found the key to be free. What are you doing? But you're painting that picture in their mind. Hey, you're giving them a choice. You're showing them the cross. That's the great gift that we have for this world. Here, my friend, is your opportunity for eternal life. And I'll tell you, every one of us needs to take it personal and get involved. Every one of us needs to take, take it personal and get involved. And let's begin to pray. And let's begin, let's begin to fill up that board with friends and coworkers and loved ones. My God, we've got, every one of us got a camera on our phone just about. <laughs> My God. I remember at the old church, my Lord, we had, we had family photos. We had old, we had some old stuff up there. Had them Polaroids. I remember the pastor, Polaroids. Come on, folks. Now it's just take your phone out. I'm printing this at home right now. It'll be there when I get there. And let's get their pictures on that wall and let's begin to pray. For the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Amen, the cross. The cross is still the greatest message. It's the greatest story. It's the most powerful thing that you can ever participate. Do you understand the, the cross? Not only where Jesus died, but countless thousands who've given their life to hold up that bloodstained cross and to stand for its message. I know it's not a typical Wednesday night kind of a sermon. I'm using more teachy, but... It just burns inside of me today. It burns inside of me. The great cross conundrum, the greatest question that will ever be posed. What will you do about Jesus? It's time to bring this world to the cross one more time. Give him one more chance because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together as believers and just share our passion, share our conviction. God, if there's one person here tonight that doesn't know you, Lord, who has not accepted you as Lord and Savior of their life, who's not accepted your forgiveness, 
God, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 tells us that if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart the Lord Jesus, my God, you have made the path so simple. God, if there's one person here who's not yet confessed you as Lord, does not yet believe that you rose from the dead for their sins, God, I pray right now, reach out to them. I pray right now, bring them to a crossroads and give them the strength and the faith right now to choose something better for themselves. God, we've tasted this world and all of its riches. And God, we don't want its fame. And God, we've, we want something that is more real, something that is eternal. And God, we choose to connect ourselves to that which is forever. God, I just pray let the Holy Ghost come down tonight and do something in the hearts of these people to awaken them to their need to accept you as Lord and Savior of their life. I ask it in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I want you to keep your heads bound for just a moment. I'm going to ask you, if you're here tonight and you need Jesus, if you're here tonight and you've traveled the lonely road of the prodigal. And you're ready to come to God tonight and give him your heart and give him your life. I'm not promising you a good time. I'm not promising you that you're never going to have any troubles or any trials. But I'm here to tell you Jesus will wash away your sins. Jesus will take away your shame and he'll take away your guilt And he'll give you the opportunity to begin again. Jesus will restore your innocence and you will be born again. And I'm asking you tonight, if you don't know him, this is your opportunity to get to know him. If you're within the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I would ask if you would, would you just slip up your hand right now and let me see it. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you, sir. You can put it back down. God's dealing with your heart tonight, and you need Jesus. Now's the time to confess him. There's power in that cross. I said there's power in that cross. (laughs) We don't have to change. We just have to let that power change us. Is there someone else tonight that needs Jesus? Anyone tonight that needs the Lord? God's dealing with your heart. Don't be ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of you when he took your punishment for you. He was not ashamed of you. Amen. When he stepped in your place and said, I will stand in your place. I'll take your whooping. I'll take your punishment. Amen. I'll carry your guilt. Amen. He took your place on that cross. And if you accept that sacrifice, you'll be free. Amen. If there's no one else, let's stand together. Praise the name of the Lord. Josh, Angie, come down here if you will. You that raised your hand, I just invite you to come down here right now if you will. Come on down here and let him pray with you. Hallelujah. Let him just agree with you tonight. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory be to God. Hallelujah.